morning, everybody. Like to add my welcome and good morning to that of Brother Bills. And if you would all stand up with us, number 512 in your hymnal, if you'd like to use that, and it should be up on the board here in just a minute, but um, number 512 in the hymnal, Saved by Grace. Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing. But oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of the king. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. Someday my earthly house will fall. I cannot tell how soon it will be, but this I know, my all in all, has now a place in heaven for me. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. Someday when fades the golden sun beneath the rosy tinted west, my blessed Lord will say well done. And I shall enter in to rest and I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace and I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace someday till then I'll watch and wait my lamp all trimmed and burning bright that when my Savior opes the gate my soul to him may take its flight and I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace and I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace wow what a day to meet our savior face to face can you imagine i often think about the disciples on the road to emmaus right they said their hearts burned within them i imagine that's what it'll be like for us <laughs> all right y'all can be seated i think we're going to have some announcements we have something to look forward to don't we we have a great hope. See the Lord of glory face to face. My, oh my. Well, it's good to see all of you. We'd like to welcome any visitors that we have today and have a few uh, prayer requests to share with you. This past Friday, uh, Carl Perry underwent a three-hour procedure to remove some basal carcinoma cancer from his head. And we're thankful and praise the Lord that the procedure went well. And the surgeons indicate that they were able to remove it all. So that's good news. That's all good news. Yeah. 
We want to uh, continue to pray for our sister Shirley Murphy as she heals from her shoulder injury. I went to speak to her this morning and started to pat her on the shoulder, and she said, do so carefully. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's, let's pray for Shirley. Also want to uh, continue to pray for our brother Wally Haddon. He's here today. We're glad to see you, brother. Uh, also, uh, our brother George Bishop has had a, another week with no pain relief from his bout with the shingles virus. Uh, I wouldn't want to be discouraging, but my mom had shingles six years ago, and she still has pain from that. So uh, we want to pray for Brother George Bishop. I also want to continue to pray for healing for Patricia Jackson, that the Lord would be pleased to take away her continual pain and suffering. Bless her heart, she's dealt with that for some time. And Betty Hathcock has requested prayer for her son Kevin and his eyesight, as well as for her, her granddaughter Larkin, who's recovering from a broken leg. And then uh, I think y'all remember David Hale, who he and his wife Martina used to worship with us. David reported that Martina was doing really good for about nine months, and then like a switch, had another mental breakdown, causing her to lose touch with reality. And she is presently in a mental hospital, so let's pray for both of them. Also want to continue to pray for Jeff, uh, Jeff and Kathy Gall, as well as their son, Austin. And uh, then as a reminder, if you would like to give a gift to support the ministry here at Grace Church, then you may place that offering in the box out on the round table in the front foyer. And... Uh, you can worship the Lord with your gifts and offerings. Okay. Where is everybody? Well, welcome both of you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we come to you this morning once again in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for your grace, your mercy, your patience, your long-suffering towards us. We do want to pray for all of those people who have been mentioned that you might be pleased to intervene in their lives for good. We do thank you, Father, for all the many blessings that you have given to us here. We especially and always thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who loves us and gave himself for us. We ask today that you might be pleased to bless our pastor as he breaks the bread of life to us and that the Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified and your people edified, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Yeah, like Brother Bill just said, the time change trips trips people up. It almost tripped me up this morning. <laughs> I almost missed it. Um, Let's see, number 271. If anybody's just now joining us on the internet, we'd like to say welcome again. Thankful that you're here to praise the Lord with us. I was talking to Brother Bob Castle about this song. I don't see him in here. He must have stepped out for a minute, but um, I told him we would do this, My Anchor Holds. If you've been in the armed forces, I think people particularly uh, appreciate it. There you are, Brother Bob. Yeah, he, Brother Bob was telling me that he has been on a ship like this. Like we'll, we'll sing about up and down, 30, 40, 50 foot waves in the middle of the ocean. And if you don't have 
an anchor <laughs> in something like that or, or, you know, stability in something like that, then you're going to perish. But in Jesus Christ, we've got that anchor in this life, this storm. 271. Y'all want to stand up again? Though the angry surges roll on my tempest-driven soul, I am peaceful for I know why only though the winds may blow I've an anchor safe and sure that can evermore endure and it holds my anchor holds blow your wildest then oh gale on my bark so small and Is that good? (laughs) 
What about you Navy people? Do y'all appreciate that song? <laughs> I think we've got a couple minutes. Let's sing a few verses of this next one, Be Thou My Vision. We'll sing maybe verse 1 and verse 4. time. Verse 2. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. I ever with thee and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, I thy true Son. Thou in seated, I think. Well, good to see all of you today, and we're, I'm sure this time is throwing you off. I read a report sometime back uh, that more heart attacks occur over uh, daylight savings time weekend than any other time in the year. It, 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 uh, it messes up our body clock. i tell you what I suggest to you, though. I would, uh, I would set mine back on Saturday. That's what we do now. On Saturday, we set it back on Saturday. Then you go all day long, and you, you get used to that time, and your uh, body clock adjusts a little bit. It's going to take a little while for it to fully, fully adjust. But we're so glad to see all of you who are here today. All of our salvation is about being redeemed, and we're going to hear about some of that this morning. And so uh, we're going to sing a little song for you called mm -hmm. I Am Redeemed, I'm Bought with a Price. Let's see if you remember it. Jesus has changed my whole life. 
changed uh, this is my own personal testimony you are so changed that people will just think that you're another person walking around in your body I mean it's that radical I was radically saved that people would say well you're not the person you used to be I said <laughs> I said I hope not I've had a blood transfusion I've been redeemed praise God amen hallelujah amen you know, as we look back in the, in the Bible over the testimony of, of people, I'm sure that many of them, in fact, I know for a fact uh, the Apostle Paul, many of you have heard of the Apostle Paul. He was born Saul of Tarsus. He was a Jew. Uh, he was such a brilliant guy that many scholars, historians have said, you may have heard about him if you had never been converted. I mean, that's how brilliant he was. But he, he over and over in the New Testament says that he's ashamed of himself before he was converted. He held the cloaks of some men while they stoned a Christian deacon to death named Stephen. Read about it in Acts chapter 8 and 9 and following. And so when I look back over my life, I am not proud of a lot of things that occurred in my life, especially before I was converted. As you can imagine, I might have had a few troubles even after I've been converted. <laughs> and I have. We're still sinners. I needed, I needed grace to save me, but I need grace to keep me. And I need grace to preserve me. I need grace to take me home. The Lord Jesus doesn't lateral the ball off to us at the, uh, the, when you run almost 100 yards, you know, 99 yards, he laterals off to you and you make touchdown. <laughs> now, what it is is he picks you up and runs a whole 100 yards, and you're just hanging on to him. We need him as much today. In fact, I see my need more of Christ today than I did when he brought me to himself. So having said that, I'm going to introduce a dear brother to you, just going to come up and say some things to you. We think it's good from time to time to have some testimonies and have people tell their story. Each of us has his or her own story about how we came through this world, where we were born, how we 
took this turn and that turn and the other turn, and then somehow in the good providence of God, we were brought to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We heard uh, a few weeks ago, a month or two ago, from Brother, Brother Williams, who shared some things with us. And today we're going to hear from our dear brother, Bob Castle. So give Bob a big welcome, okay? All right. Is it an accident that you are here? You're here by accident? Or is it by purpose? You know, there's purposes that God purposes that we know not of. And then there's purposes that we have that we know not of. But we are better directed when we look into the source of information that we need in our soul every single day. And I'm thinking right now of all the people in the world that don't know what you know, they haven't heard what you have heard, and they may be hearing now for the first time. So I'll say to them and to you, from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all of these things. You heavens above, rain down righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open wide, and let salvation spring up, and let righteousness grow with it. So you're talking about righteousness, but it's because salvation has sprung up in your life. That's first. Righteousness is in Jesus Christ. And what we have to have is the kind of righteousness that you can't have by yourself. Because we're human beings, we only do a little bit, but it's never enough to work our way to heaven or to maintain our salvation. What we need is the kind of righteousness that God's righteousness requires Him to require, and that's perfect righteousness. Let me share with you a verse, Isaiah 55, verse uh, 1 through 3. This is the most wonderful invitation for those of you that may be listening or you may be hearing, but you're not listening. You know, there's a big difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is a biological function. Listening is a psychological function. You have to want to listen. And if you feel that you don't have enough information, but there's more that you can get that can build you up and edify and give you clarity, then you need to choose to listen. And you know, you can't, if you choose to listen and you're just affirming what it is that you already know, you may not learn very much. But we need to listen to learn rather than listening to affirm what it is that we think we already know. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Come all ye that are thirsty. How many, does that close the door on people? It says all ye that are thirsty. Come where? To the waters and you who have no money. Come buy. How are you going to buy without money? It's by the grace of God. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. 
Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Two things, two imperatives here. It says, listen. Now, this is what it says in the Word. Listen, and it says it again. Listen, so it must be important. It didn't say hear, hear. It says, listen, listen. To whom? To me. That's not me. That's the one that wrote it. That's the God. Listen to me. What does he say do? Eat the bread of life. Eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Didn't say come to the church or dip yourself in water and be baptized or be sprinkled. He said, come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. What an invitation. Hear me, hear God, come to me, come, listen, listen, that your soul may live. Isaiah 55, 11. I've heard the Gideons say this so many times. They place the Bible around and so many miraculous, wonderful things happen. It says, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. The word does not return void. So I challenge you today, Psalm 66, 16, Come and listen, you that fear God, and I'm going to tell you what He's done for me. It, but because it says it right there in Psalm 66, 16, let me tell you what He has done for my soul. And I'm going to do that. Jeremiah 31, 19. I'm going to tell you a lot, of, a, a lot about some of my strayings, and I don't mind telling you. It's a little embarrassing. I'm 81 years old, and I'm talking about a time 60 years ago. Certain things happened to me, and frankly, it's embarrassing for me to bring these things up because I don't know that guy, Lynn. I don't know who that guy is, but he was there, and I can talk about him because I have a memory about him. I don't like that guy because that's not me. So after I strayed, and I did far, I repented. I did change my mind about what I needed to change my mind about, my bad behavior, I could have changed and started doing good behavior. Do you think that would have worked my way to heaven? Oh, no. Because all of my good would only be relative. It wouldn't be absolute. It wouldn't be perfect, which is what God requires. You've got to be perfect to go to heaven. And the only way you can be perfect is to have a mediator. There's one God, there's one mediator between God and men, and the man is Christ Jesus. He is the perfection, and you don't have that you have that by His mercy and His grace when you believe in Him. You have that righteousness that you need. And if you don't have it, frankly, you can't go to heaven. You know what I saw? I saw Isaiah 59, 14 because of the people that I associated with. And here's how we looked at things. We didn't look at things in a very positive way except it was evil or bad. And we liked that because we were accustomed to that kind, that kind of thing. And so, as a spectator, I saw this. So justice is driven back. Righteousness, this is Isaiah 59, by the way, 14 and 15. Righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the street. Honesty cannot enter. And truth is nowhere to be found. And whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. Now, that's how my group looked at things. If you didn't do bad things, then we were not comfortable. We were comfortable doing bad stuff. So, 
Justice was driven back. We weren't pursuing righteousness because we didn't know the king of righteousness who imputes it to us. So I saw life sort of as a spectator, looking at the parade of life, passing me by. There it is. Here comes the good people. Okay, I don't want anything to do with them. They don't know how to have fun. Here comes the bad people. Oh, look, they're drinking, they're carousing, they're dancing, they're they're blowing the bugle, they're beating the drum, and look at them. I think I'll join them. So we jumped in and joined them. Followed them, followed me. I was comfortable in doing bad stuff. So as a spectator, I saw, I looked around, and I was involved in the traffic that went forward toward evil. I never got in the mental helicopter and looked at the entire parade. I just looked at me, where I was in the parade, moving on, not thinking about where I was going, really not knowing where I was going. And Daniel 5.23 talks about guys like me. It says, Bob, you did not honor through all of that. You did not honor this God that made you. And you are in his hand, and, he's, he, and, and, and you are found wanting. You are weighed, and you don't have enough. You don't have what you need. And Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of a fool and I was a fool, is wise in his own eyes. And you know, I thought I was the smartest thing going in some areas. Proverbs 16, 2, there is a way that seems right to a man. Yeah, I was following some kind of rationale, but it was terrible. My ways had become very, very bad. I did a lot of things that even my ways said, look, this is horrible. My ways condemned me. I needed something outside of me. I thought all of it was here, inside of me. And I thought I needed to vent myself and to do everything in the world that I could do to be happy, to find something, to find an asset, to find a relationship, to find a circumstance that was pleasant. And I learned that accumulating assets, you know what that does? It just builds assets. There's no peace or or tranquility there. There's a certain amount of, you know, you smile and you have it, but you know everything you have, don't you get used to it? gets kind of old after a while. Yeah, this is new. Hey, let's replace it. Okay? Assets, materialism, circumstances. And after a while we think, wow, I need to do better in circumstance. I don't like the circumstances I'm in. I think I'll change them. Well, we change the circumstances like we do the furniture. And so, relationships with people, how's that going for you in your life? How's your relationships been? Oh, I had this friend 20 years ago, one of my best friends in the life. Where is he now? I don't know. Things have changed. We don't see eye to eye anymore. Well, relationships don't sustain you either. Have you learned that? Materialism doesn't. Having assets, that doesn't sustain you. That doesn't hold you. It gives you a temporary smile. You get used to it, and it passes as a ship in the night. My background, real, real quick. Born at an early age in Moreland, Georgia. Okay? (laughs) Moreland, Georgia. Good writer is from there. Um, Seven miles up the road is uh, Allen Jackson, Newland, Georgia, one of the richest towns in America, which we weren't a part of. But um, it was a nice place. So Moreland, Georgia, a good place. My granddad was a barber there. It's, the, it's, the sto- it's where the story of murder in Cuyahoga County was filmed. Lamar Potts is a sheriff, sheriff there. Johnny Carson, I mean, John, Johnny Cash played the part of Lamar Potts, who was a notorious sheriff. Very, very 
uh, analytical, and he wouldn't let anybody go, and all the criminals knew it, and they all feared him. But he was quite a sheriff. Um, watch that movie. You'll enjoy it. Murder in Cuyahoga County. I remember bringing, seeing the bones of that person that was killed being brought into the courthouse there in uh, Noonan, Georgia, as evidence a long, long time ago. But from Moreland, Georgia, the, the biggest thing we had going was the Chattahoochee River. Chattahoochee River, we put out set hooks, we put out fish baskets, and at different times of the year, we would have these fish fries. And I thought my uncles, you know, my uncle, it was kind of unique. My uncles really loved me and my brothers and sister. They loved me and they loved us and we really loved them. They wanted us to be with them, but there was a price to pay. They did what they did and maybe they, shouldn't have, they should have had more discretion. But at the Chattahoochee River, they would build this big bonfire and they would already have a gallon of moonshine and my dad and my uncle Wimpy and, and after a while, Uncle Wimpy's eyes would glaze and he'd be staggering. After a while, my dad would be holding the, the, the jug and he, he would be all glazed over. And he would say, Uncle Wimpy, say, you want a drink of this? He said, yeah, I ain't had none. <laughs> and then my dad, he would say, Thurman, why don't you take a drink? Thurman said, well, you know, I can think of a thousand reasons why I shouldn't take a drink of this. I mean, there ought to be a thousand reasons, but I can't think of a blankety-blank one of them right now. My dad was, he was quite a hoot. Now, I learned by watching them how not to do it because they didn't just drink. They drank and drank and drank to get drunk, and they did it. They were hardworking people. They were honest people, but they were heavy, heavy drinkers, and I thought, that's how you do it. You drink, and you drink, and you drink. Well, I did that. I learned at around 14 years of age, I started drinking, drink anything I could. I didn't know what to drink, but whatever it was, I would drink it, I would drink it, and I would drink it. And I'll tell you what I got from that. I got a lot of anxiety. I got a lot of emptiness. I didn't know from whence I came, didn't know from whence I was going. I had blurred mine all the time. Joined the Navy at a very early age. And I was an expert drinker. I could drink with the best of them. And le believe me, there's plenty of good drinkers in the Navy. We were out to sea almost two months one time doing battle preparation and all of that. And um, I said, you know, when we get back to the ship, I mean, back to the shore, I said, let's raise some hell. Let's, let's, get, let's get barrels and buckets and, 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 and wash tubs full of beer and booze and, and get on the beach and here are the rules. Get on the beach. We all stay there in this circle, and we drink, and we drink, and we drink until we can't stand up. Now, how, how wise does that sound? The last one that stands has to pay a $50 fine. Everybody say, hey, I'm in, man. See, they thought that was cool because we'd been away from booze for almost two months. And, uh, but crazy. It doesn't make any sense at all. But, you know, after a while, the drinking can only do so much. After a while, it diminishes, and your mind, you do different things when you're drinking as a com compared when, you, when you're sober. You do different things, and I would always take more risk than I should. And I would think, well, okay, 
You're drinking. How do you feel? Oh, man, I feel great. But hey, this thing is beginning to leave me a little bit. So I drink some more to keep the high. And I drink some more, and I get to the end of the bottle, and I say, whoa, I'm, I'm, I'm getting kind of woozy, but I'm losing the feeling. So I'd get some more. That's exactly what my uncles did and what my dad did. And it didn't hold you up. It didn't sustain you. So I got to the bottom of many, many bottles. But after a while, I learned that something, this is not holding me up. So you know what I did? I began to add drugs to it. Begin to add stimulants. I think that'll hold me up. Well, the drinking didn't hold me up. The marijuana didn't hold me up. The pep pills, the stimulants didn't hold me up. They altered my thinking, made me feel a little bit like a zombie. So it caused me to lose my mental equilibrium. But it, guess what it didn't bring me? It didn't bring me a perpetual tranquility. It didn't give me peace in my soul. Matter of fact, there was like a war stirring there. I thought, well, this, this doesn't seem right. And this doesn't even feel right to me. But you know what Satan does? I don't know what your temptations are, but I can tell you this. One of the first verses I learned was from Chaplain Burke in prison. And he said, Bob, you memorize this verse and it'll serve you well. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. That has served me well down through the years. But I'll tell you what happens. When you're young, inexperienced, controlled by alcohol, or controlled by drugs, there's a little song that you listen to, and it's a song of Satan. What it is, what he does is this. He said, you do this, you'll have fun. I will make this gift to you. You do this, you do this, you'll be happy, it'll lift you up, it will be bright, you'll be stimulated, and you will feel like you've never felt before. Well, that's right, to a degree. But you know what happens with all of it? It lifts you up, but also it brings you down. And it brings you down lower than you were before you were even lifted up. It doesn't sustain you. And so Satan says, come on, let's do these things. This is a gift from me. You do these things and you'll be okay. Don't worry about it. You'll be all right. Try this, try that. Well, at the end of that, it wore off just like everything else. But with it, there was usually a price to pay. Satan says, come on, I'll play the music, you dance. At the end of it, he says, okay, Bob, I've got this little package for you. You open it up. Oh, what is it? A note from Satan. You've got to pay, Bob. Oh, what do you mean? What happened to grace? I'm not God. This is not, by, this is not about grace. This is about the repercussions of your actions. You've got to pay. And I learned that well. There's a cost. There's a price to pay. Price to pay by too many drugs. There's a price to pay by being too crazy and too wild. There's a price to pay for dis being disobedient, not knowing God, not searching God out and finding out where He is. I didn't know God, had no idea. So those stimulants didn't do me any good. They didn't lift me up high. But I had what I had done, I had embraced a lie from Satan, and his gifts are always with a cost, with a price. You pay. Satan is not gratuitous, folks. Your sins find you out. And I read Numbers 32, 23. Be sure, Bob, your sins will find you out. 
And you know, when your sins find you out, you find out there's the penalty. And it's heavy, and it's hard. It's hard to bear. In the Navy, my sins found me out. Here, I, I did some things. Here's what happened. I was in the Navy four years. I was honorably discharged, but it was only because this guy liked me. And I said, hey, please, don't, don't give me a dishonorable. He said, all right, I'll let you go this time. But, but you need to agree to reenlist. Well, I didn't want to do that. While I was in the Navy, I had 14 captain's masks. That means I had been arrested 14 times. I had four court-martials, 10 times when I was locked up and put in a brig. Don't know if you know what that means. The brig is a hard place. It's where Marines control sailors. And you know, basically they don't like each other. And so what they do, they ream you out. They make you stand at attention for an hour, however long, and you had better not even buckle your knees. And it was terrible, punishing. You'd have to do calisthenics, raise your legs, and I'm down slow, spread your legs, hold it right there. It was terrible. But the reason it's terrible, they don't want you to come back. They want you to stop doing the stupid things that you're doing that brought you there. Hard for me to learn. I was in the brig about 10 times, and it was terrible every time. Get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, eat fast, and then you do your calisthenics, and you stand there, and then you march, march, march. It was absolutely terrible. Now, from the Navy, discharge. What happened to you, Bob? Well, there's another merry-go-round. I had friends that I'd play the guitar and did some singing with since we were 12 years old. Well, while I was in the Navy, they were playing and having some kind of success. They were called, no longer called Billy and Bobby, uh, they were uh, Johnson or, or Cosby, they were called Billy and Bobby, the Sprouts. The Sprouts, wow, sounds pretty good. Yeah, Bob, we recorded for Spangle Records. We recorded for RCA, and we were having some success. Now, Bob, you know, we've been playing together for years. We played roller rinks. We played at high schools. We played different places. Too young to play at bars at that time. But we played everywhere, and we really enjoyed it, and we really loved each other. So they said, Bob, you come on. You play guitar for us, and uh, we're going to have a time. We're not through with this ride, Bob. We're still rising high. How about that? Still rising high, are we? Well, I guess, I guess so. But I had three things that, that were gripping me that I was dealing with. Alcohol, drugs, and here's another vicious lie from the pits of hell. The other thing was popularity, acceptance. We had played on the radio. We played on TV. We had a lot of success, we thought, for a while. Signed autographs. And you know what? We really thought we were more important than we were. That's what happens after a while. So that's why I said, that becomes a real problem. Alcohol, drugs, and now managing yourself with this popularity. You think you're better than you are. But you know what? In the end, I found out how bad I could be. Because here comes some of the bad parts. At the Cannonball Inn, reason we were at the Cannonball Inn was because we had already played at the southern end on Madison Avenue. Our, our spin and our airtime was going down. We weren't popular anymore. We began to be the no-show sprouts. We were traveling around in cars, and that just wasn't good enough. Breakdown with the car, we couldn't get there. We'd offer an excuse. But after a while, guess what happened? Not as many invitations. And so what did we do? We go back. Rather than playing... 
American Bandstand or playing International Amphitheater in Chicago, which is what we did, big nice places, Philadelphia, all the biggies, we played at all of them. Jerry Lee Lewis, we played with him one time. Um, we played with a lot of people. Brenda Lee, who had the foulest mouth of any of us. But um, we were buddies, became pretty good buddies with a lot of those people. And what happened to us now, we had reached the crest, and we were going down because we were no-show, no and I was still drinking and popping pills and, and doing all of that. But guess what? The popularity was going away now. Wow, that was hard to manage. I like that. I like signing those autographs. I like feeling that I was important. But this, too, is a lie. That doesn't sustain you. Now, some of the very top people have been sustained for many years, but we weren't there. We were like middle level, whatever we were. So, we went back, I remember after playing at the Southern Inn, there was a big banner out there, come and see the Sprouts, RCA, recording artists. Well, we started playing there at 12 o'clock noon. We played until 8 o'clock. Can you imagine playing eight hours? Of course, we had some breaks. Eight hours, and then at 8 o'clock, picked up our instruments, went on down to uh, probably six miles away, and we played at another nightclub from about 9.30 until 2 in the morning or 4 in the morning. Can you imagine that? Six days a week. We had Mondays off, and then we practiced, you know. It was very hard. And so what was really happening, though, all of the, the rose was off the bloom, all the glory, you know, the word is Ichabod, the glory hath departed. We had lost our shine, and we went back to the lower-level nightclubs. So one night at the Cannonball Inn on Blue Island Street in Chicago, here's what happened. Drinking, drunk, ran out of money. They wouldn't, they wouldn't let me have any more booze from the back behind the bar. And I said, man, i got to have another drink or two. Things are good. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I had this revolver, this pistol, kept it in the amplifier for the protection of the band. And from time to time, we needed that. And we had this song called Shake, Rattle, and Roll. Get out of that kitchen, pow! And I'd shoot the gun in the floor, pow! Rattle those pots and pans, pow, pow! People said, what is that? Well, it's this crazy Bob shooting the gun, getting some attention <laughs> at this nightclub. But so... Here we are at the Cannonball Inn on South Blue Island Street in Chicago. Rough place, rough place. Not the best. So what happened was this. Needed some money, and this guy that had been, you know, associating with the band for a while, he liked us and had five or six what, lower level mafia types that, that hung around us. And this guy said, hey, Bob, you, you want to sell me that pistol? He said, come on out and sit here and, and I'll give you the money for it. So, I come down, get somebody to set in for me. We still had about two hours to go. And I hand him this pistol under the table. And I say, okay, expecting some money. And what I get is, pow! Uh, I'm shot. And I'll show you why I'm shot. I'm shot. My navel is here. The bullet hit me right there. Missed my aorta. About like that. And you know what would have happened if it had struck my aorta. I would have been dead in a short period of time. So there it was, but something was hurting me more than the entrance of the bullet. I looked down, I had a white shirt, and there was another hole on top of that. And I thought, well, I just heard one shot. What's going on? But I'm still thinking. And that, that hole was black. You know what it was? 
it was the powder burn, where when the guy got the pistol, he fired it at close range. Powder burn was like somebody was putting a cigarette to my stomach, and it was killing me. And I'm trying to get my breath, but I'm still standing up. But I'd watch gun smoke and all the other things. If somebody gets hit with a bullet, I mean with a gun, you get outdrawn, what happens to you? You roll over, you fall into the floor, and you're dead. That's exactly. In a, you, have, you probably had never had that luxury in your life to be in a position where you don't know how much longer you're going to live, whether it's 10 seconds or whether it's 30 minutes or whatever it is. And I'm standing there thinking, hey, I've been shot. I'm still alive. And I thought, somebody said, let me help you. I said, no, I want to, and get that, I want to know when I die. You know, you know I had to believe. I was getting pretty close, right? So I waddled out. They put me, put, took me outside. They said, the doctor may be over here in this building. Two in the morning? No. Prop me beside this building, and I'm sitting there waiting, hoping maybe a doctor is there. But no, they couldn't, they couldn't get the doctor. He wasn't there. But I'm leaning beside this building, and here we see these eight or ten people coming, gangs type, and they come up to me, and this guy said, I'm going to mess you up. You know what he does? He kicks me right here, right next to where this bullet is. Later on, I thought, you know, nobody really cares for my soul, and that guy sure didn't. They wanted to beat us up. They wanted to have a fight. Well, there's no doctor, so they take me, put me in the, a car, take me to the hospital, and they're at Cook County Hospital in Chicago. You know, you, you, if you're there, you'll find out really fast why socialized medicine doesn't work very well. I'm lying there in the middle of people moaning and groaning, cut with knives, shot with guns, overdosed, and all that, and here I am in the middle of them. But hey, I'm Bob Castle, remember. I'm in this popular band. People should know me. And they are passing around, ignoring me. I'm lying there, and I really am expecting to die any minute. Any minute. Can you imagine that feeling? If you never had that feeling, you don't want it. And I'm expecting to breathe my life. I, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm, I've got to be bleeding inside. So I don't know how long I'm, I'm, and I'm not getting any help here. And so a nurse passes by, he's whizzing around like she was. I grabbed her arm. I said, ma'am. I said, I've been here a long time. I said, um, do you know if, uh, whether or not I'm going to die? And she said, I don't know. We're going to check you out later. Kept on going. I thought, boy. Later on, I thought, the guy that kicked me didn't care for my soul. The nurse didn't care for my soul. And I thought, wow, there's got to be something better than this. So what happened was this. I finally healed. But during the healing process, the people that were associating with our band, they, they would follow us to different places, they were lower-level mafia. They were not high-level mafia. They said, Bob, hey, listen, by the way, Billy and Bobby had to go home because it broke our band up. We, I knew all the songs, and they didn't want to fool with anybody. And we had gone down to such a low level. We weren't really having a lot of fun. We were just barely making a living, playing at two places just to have enough money to come in to sustain my drinking. And there was one guy that didn't drink. That was the leader of our band, little Bobby. Bill met him. He didn't drink at all. Tell you what, we did a little body one, Bobby one time. Bobby was a teetotaler, and every once in a while we would go, get out of that kitchen, rattle those pots and pans, pow, pow, and we'd jump on a table and right in front of it. Well, little Bobby wore cowboy boots because he was so short. He was about five feet tall. <laughs> right, Bill? He's a little, Bobby, is, he's, Bill has met him. And so 
said, man, I need a drink. I said, hey, man, we'll take care of you. Hey, he said, give me some orange juice. Well, guess what he had? He had vodka juice <laughs> and orange juice, and he drank that, and he'd never been drunk. We knew all about that, but he didn't. So after a while, he said, man, I'm feeling woozy. What's the matter with me? I think I'm getting sick. And, hey, man, it's time to jump on the table. Let's go. Boom. He missed the table, fell down. <laughs> That's Bobby. Cannonball Inn. What a, what a place. Well, these guys said, Bob, come on, we're going to help you. Stay with us, and we're going to show you how to make some easy money. Now, here it comes, folks. We're going to show you how to make some easy money. Remember, Satan says, come on, I've got something for you. But after a while, there's a price tag. I didn't think about the price tag at that time. I thought about me. I thought about the easy money. I thought about, hey, I can't work. Here, I'm wounded. I've got to hobble around because this thing is taking a long time. And I may die yet. I don't know. But they said, no, no, you just walk. We'll take care of you. We'll watch over you. Don't worry. We've got plenty of money. And we know where to get it. So I watched them for a while and rode with them for a while. I couldn't work and do any labor. And my buddies were gone. The band, the band was gone. So I said, what do you guys do? So here's what we do. They were involved in shortchanging. I don't know if you know what that is. I don't have time to explain it, but it's where you gain money because you manipulate money in such a way that you come out with money and they hardly know it. Every once in a while, but not very often. So got involved in that, saw what they did. I saw that they stole things. They robbed. They had jewelry. They had uh, booze. All of this was illegal. And so whatever they could accumulate, they would rob people. That was no problem for them. They'd stick up people and, and call it strong arm. Well, I got involved in all of that. And I did a lot of that. You wouldn't want me to tell you everything that I did. But it was strong arm robbery. It was a lot of bad, bad, bad stuff. I'm ashamed of it, but hey, that's the way it was. That was life. It was surviving. And I thought, okay, I got to survive. So I followed these guys. And we made a living for a while. And I got used to all that. And you know what happens after a while, folks? Let me tell you something. If you've never done anything like that, thank God you haven't. But if you haven't, do you know what happens? You say, I could never do anything like that. Oh, yes, you could. You can do things worse than that. You just don't think you can right now because you're all tied into your own pride and your self-importance. You've got an old sin nature, and if you vent it, you can do anything. You say, oh, no, not me. Oh, yes, you can. But I can tell you this. Whatever you do that you know is wrong, in the end, there is a price to pay. Now, with all of my violations, all the things that I did, being shot and surviving, there was this one guy that maybe, I don't know if he was a bouncer. He was just a guy that liked us. He weighed about 280 pounds. He had a fist like a catcher's mitt. Big Jim, we called him. Big Jim was not afraid of anything or anybody. He didn't need to be. He was a mean, tough guy. And he was dangerous when he was drinking and popping pills. Well, I, was, I, went, I went out with these, we call us ourselves the unscrupulous five. We'd do about anything. I went to a nightclub few miles down uh, Blue Island. Four of the unscrupulous were stopped by a policeman, questioned, asked to get out of the car. Standing there, there was Big Jim, and Big Jim always looked out for his boys. He didn't want anybody to give his boys a hard time. And so some of the policemen were kind of pushy and all of that to, to, uh, to the boys, 
and Jim didn't like it. Then they said something to Jim. There was a policeman about halfway across Blue Island. I, remember, I didn't see this. I was just told this. I was down the road a few miles getting drunk. So here comes this policeman. He says, bye-bye-bye to Jim. And Jim starts cursing the policeman and starts charging him. Remember, big Jim, fists like that. And he's going to knock this policeman down. So he approaches this policeman. Policeman pulls his gun to stop. Well, there was no stopping in Jim especially when he was on drugs and drunk. He just charged a policeman. Policeman shot him right between the eyes. And Jim dropped in the, middle of, in the middle of the street, and he dropped down like a rock. It was terrible. Meanwhile, I'm over here getting drunk. Got to go home. Can't stay there forever. And so I hailed a cab. Hailed a cab. There I was, staggering around. And I robbed somebody from a big, about a three or four carat diamond ring. And just by chance... I was kind of flirting with the person behind the bar, and I said, will you mind holding this for me tomorrow? It's a good thing I did. I'll tell you why in a minute. Got into this cab. Remember, when, when, when you're doing the stuff that we were doing, the conscience didn't mean a thing. We, it was seared with a hot iron. Conscience didn't pull me back and say, no, don't do that. After a while, you violate your conscience so long, much and so long that it no longer speaks to you. I hope you don't ever experience that because that means you've gone too far. Either in alcohol, either in drugs, or either false popularity. But you can certainly sear your conscience. And that is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Well, having a seared conscience, I said in this cab, I spent about $70 or $80. I think, oh, okay, I've only got 30 40 left, or whatever it is, maybe 80 left. And so I said, I had this 25 automatic. I sat down in the front seat of this cab driver. Put a pull the gun, pull this twenty-five automatic on him, and he looked at it. And he said, "Ah, it's a toy!" Pow! I fired it through the windshield. He knew it wasn't a toy. Okay. It turned out to be something that was a bad problem. Whole bullet hole in the windshield. So he takes me home, and I take whatever the money, whatever money he has, not much, but it doesn't bother me. I'm used to all that stuff, and I'm about ten seconds from getting out of the cab because there's that's where I live right there with me and two more guys. That's where I live. I'm getting out right now. You know what happened? At that instant, a paddy wagon of full of policemen, I don't know, full, four or five, whatever it was, pulled right alongside the cab. And here I am with a, with, with a gun on the cab driver, sitting in the middle of the front seat, and I'm looking at the driver, and I'm thinking, man, I'm in trouble here. What am I going to do? I tell the cab driver, hey, you act right, and you'll be okay. I'm not going to hurt you. Meanwhile, the four policemen had gotten out, or I couldn't see them, on the right side of the paddy wagon and in front of the paddy wagon that I couldn't see. I was looking at the driver. And behind, at the bumper, the, the cab driver hit the door handle and rolled out into the street. Pow, 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 pow. 15 to 17 shots. I felt one of them go right by my ear. One of the bullets that felt go through my hair, I thought I had been shot several times, but it was the glass from the back windshield. You think, man, they're at the bumper, and you're in the middle of the front seat, and it didn't hit you? Middle of the front seat, it didn't hit me. Missed me. I rolled down into the floorboard. I said, hey, stop. I'm okay. I'm okay. So they stopped after 15 or 17 times. And I say, I'm coming out. Raise your hands. Show your gun. I said, okay, here it is. Coming up. Pow! They shoot at my hand. Can you see any holes there? That means they missed, okay? 
I guess they hadn't been to practice very much at that time. They missed me from the bumper, and this guy missed me. I don't know what he thought I was going to do with the gun. I said, I'm throwing my gun out. But he shot at my hand and missed it. Well, what happened was they put twister cuffs on me, dug into my wrists. They were bleeding, and they didn't care. They slammed my head against the cab, took me downtown, strapped me. Remember, I'm drunk and on drugs. Strapped me to a chair, and I'm like, I don't like this. And they tried to get me to confess to crimes that I had, unsolved crimes that I had not committed, and I wouldn't confess to crimes that I had committed. But that didn't matter to them. They thought they'd beat it out of me. They slapped me like that to a fairly well, spit in my face, stomped my feet, hit me in the shins with the little tiny legs of mine, hit, hit me in the shins with their billy club, and I told this one guy, I said, hey, after I sobered up a little bit, I said, you chicken liver, die to die. Near. I had a horrible mouth, by the way. I said, you just turn me loose. You, you even leave the cuffs on me, but take me back in the back cell, just you and me. And I said, at least I can kick back. But he wouldn't do it. But anyway, what happened, I was charged with armed robbery, bound over to the grand jury, and I'm facing 2 to 10 or 1 to 5. Horrible, horrible future. So I'm thinking... Wow, I've been caught. I don't know what to do. Certain things had happened that made me begin to think right. Of course, I sobered up after a while. Here I am, confined in this bullpen with about 40 hardened criminals. And I mean, they were terrible. They did everything, facing the whatever they were facing. It was a terrible future. But I thought, man, what a miserable place to be. Little birds started chirping in my ears, such, such as, my mom had called me a couple of months prior and said, Bob, shock me. Your daddy and I have been saved. <laughs> wow, what's that? We didn't know about that. That was not a part of what our family did. Nobody went to church. We didn't know about church. Matter of fact, we were very skeptical of religious people. We didn't know what saved people really meant. But mother said, we've been saved. I thought, oh, okay. Went on. So there I was. But in jail, I started thinking about that. And they had a roommate Something had happened to him. He had been in, uh, put in jail for whatever reason. He had read a Gideon Bible, Gideon Place Bible, and he was saved. He came back to our apartment. He started reading that Bible every day. Said he was saved. I thought, mm, okay. I didn't want a part of that, though, when I heard it. And then another thing. Three things came coursing to me. And that was, there was a prisoner that I liked. He liked me. We had some good conversation. He said, Bob, I noticed you, you're beginning to be concerned about where you are, and, and you, I noticed you've been reading that Bible. I said, yeah, I have. I said, I don't understand it, but I've been reading it. He said, well, listen, since I've been here, I've been saved. You've been saved. Boy, that's three times I've heard that. Got my attention. And I thought, you know, maybe this is just not them. Maybe this is God trying to tell me something. And I thought, I thought well, let me think. Here I am in a horrible place. Some months ago, I had been shot, and I thought I was going to die. And I've been doing the horrible stuff since then. And at the, at the Cannonball Inn, where I was shot, I, I mean, I thought I was a goner. And then the policeman shooting me 15 or 17 times and missing me, I thought, wow, I could have been killed. I thought about all that. I was thinking maybe for the first time in my life. I stopped. I began to take inventory about where I was, where I'd been, and where I was going. And I said something like, God, if you're trying to tell me something, I don't know what it is. I don't know how to understand all this. But I think I'm doing really bad. 
And I don't want to go to hell, but I think I am. I'm on my way. I don't want to go there. But God, I believe you spared my life at the cannonball. I believe you spared my life there with the policeman shooting at me at such close range. I should have been gone. God, have you got a plan for me? Are you trying to tell me something? I didn't know how to pray. I just, I just talked to God like I'm talking to you right now. I said, God, if you're trying to tell me something, you're going to have to show me what it is. I don't know what it is. How can I know you? I don't know how to know you. Started reading the Bible. There it was, the Gideon Place Bible. I read it, read it every single day. And I read the book of John over and over again. I could not believe the beautiful, beautiful scriptures that were there about God calling me to salvation. You can be saved, Bob. Your mom has been saved, your dad, your sisters, this friend of yours, this guy right here says he's been saved. What about you? Where do you, where do you, where do you stand? Well, I stand in, in horrible stand. I don't stand very tall. But Lord, if you are out there, if you're the one that's trying to tell me this stuff, I want to know what it is. And God, I promise you, if you will show me how I can go to heaven, I, without any mistakes, of course, I promise you I will take your way. But, oh, Lord, please don't let me be deceived. I don't know anything. I can be deceived so easily. So here's what happened. I learned how to be saved, but I wasn't saved. I memorized Scripture. I wrote them all down. I've got them at home right now. And I thought, all this thing I read about good boys going to heaven and bad boys going to hell, it's not true. It's not in there. It's not what I read. What my mom said, what happened to these guys, and I, what, I, what I read from God Jeremiah 33, 3 said, call upon me and I'll answer you. And then Psalm 73 said, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, that's when I called on the Lord. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, come. Isaiah 1, 18 said, let's reason together. Some people said, Bob, you're not going to make it till you're 21. Mother and, and asked me the same thing. She said, Bob, why are you doing what you're doing? Don't you know you're killing me? Don't you know that you're going to get killed or die? And you know what I said? And remember this, folks, with people that you deal with. I said, Mom, I don't know what it is. It's like I'm looking for something, but I don't know what it is. You know what? I saw it through drugs. I thought it through alcohol. I thought it through popularity. But that didn't bring me peace or happiness. I had this horrible hole in my life, and I knew it. Nobody had to tell me I was a sinner. I was a sinner, and I knew it. But God was calling me. Here's what happened. Here's the setting. And I'm going to close here in just a couple of minutes. The setting was this. I'd read the Bible. I knew how to be saved, but I wasn't saved. I wanted to be sure. Sitting at this long table to my right was this guy that had killed his common-law wife by dashing her head against the corner of a kitchen table. Across from me was this guy that I'd had a fight with for whatever reason. And he had raped, viciously raped, six women. This person here had robbed a bank and killed a policeman. This guy here was a junkie, horrible. He would even try to inject aspirin in his veins just because he was so used uh, to that kind of thing. He, there he was, and there I was. Oh, Bob, you think you're better than them? No, I did not think I was better than them. I thought I could be worse if I turned my entire self loose. So here's what happened. I said, God, if I don't understand properly, and, and, and I had memorized dozens and dozens of verses, and I thought I knew the way to heaven. I said, so God, if there's anything else, though, that I've missed in the middle of all of this, please show me now. I opened that little Gideon Bible, open, and open, it turned to Psalm 116. Folks, this is a miracle coming up. 
Psalm 116, verse 3 through 5. I want to see if you think this fit me. Here's what it said. The sorrow, remember, first time I'd heard this, I'd ask God how to get to heaven. I'd learn how, but I wasn't on my way to heaven because I didn't know what, I didn't know what to believe. I didn't know how to believe. So it said, the sorrows of death compass me. I found trouble and sorrow. The sorrows of death compass me. The pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. And it says, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Oh, how could it be any clearer? I'd asked God for information. He had given it to me. And he's pretty well told me to believe in him. And folks, you know what I did? That night in my cell, a little five by seven, another scripture sort of came to my mind. I didn't hear any voices. You don't hear that. It's, it's the written word that you listen to and you believe. And by faith, you take it into your soul. So it was like, what Paul told the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I jumped up out of that little rack, got on my knees, tears coming down my eyes. Folks, I had just a little tiny BB of faith, but that little BB of faith, I put 100% in the person of Jesus Christ. And you know what happened? He did what he said he would do. He saved me. The next day I got up and I thought, wow, something happened to me last night. Somebody goosed me, and I said, oh, you saw the four or five quick curse words, but something all of a sudden, boom. Bob, that's not right. That's not becoming. You're a child of God. You don't do that anymore. You know what I did after that? I studied the Word of God every single day. I learned from Lewis Berry Chafer. I learned from Moody. I learned from DeHaan. I learned from Bob Thiem, from C.I. Schofield, from Lewis Johnson, who Bill knows, Joe Temple, Dillo, Weiss, Gordon Clark, John Robbins, People like, I stood on the shoulders of these giant people and I learned to live higher without drugs, without alcohol, but with my Savior, Jesus Christ. What a journey. It's been a wonderful journey. It's been a better life. No longer living in my strength, but His. But his. No longer empty, no longer searching, but filled with the energizing power of God the Holy Spirit. And folks, today, those of you that are out there, I commend to you the super-surpassing grace of God, and the word of His grace in Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Al Arnett came to see me one time and said, Bob, let's go out and raise hell. I explained to him what happened. He didn't understand it. He went back to Alabaster, Alabama. In two weeks, my wife, his wife called me and said, Bob, Al has been saved. He wants you to come down and preach at his baptism. I did that. A little bit later on, Al came to see me. Al has, has died uh, very disappointing to lose Al. He was a good buddy of mine. But listen, he listened, he learned. And so that tells you, your life does mean something. He knew something had happened to me after he heard my story, which is what you just heard. May God add the richness of His grace to your mind, and may this mind that was in Jesus Christ be in you. May His mind be your mind, because it's in the Word of God. You want to know what Jesus' mind is? There it is. It's in the books of the Bible. That's his mind. That's what he wants us to know. Get involved, study it, learn it, listen to it, go over and over again, and you'll never be the same. Thank you, Father, for all your blessings. Thank you for the privilege we have just to communicate some of the unsearchable riches of your grace. Thank you for the privilege of being here. We know your word won't return void, and we pray if someone has heard this message, they don't know how to be saved, but they will understand 
Salvation is in none other than Jesus Christ. And they have such a unique opportunity to put their faith in Him, just like I did with a tiny faith, but in the right object, in the person of Christ. May your grace turn our souls and our hearts to you, and may we bow before you and submit our wills and our ways to you. And we thank you for the future we have in Jesus Christ. See you folks in heaven. Thank you. Thank you. with us. You would never have known any of those things about him if he hadn't shared that with us. I'm going to let you stand up. I know you've been seated a while. I've often said here over the years, when we look at the Christians in the Bible, you're you're in a crowd of some pretty bad people. You know, Moses was a murderer. Did you know that? Yeah, he, he murdered an Egyptian. He saw an Egyptian arguing with one of his uh, Hebrew brothers, and and Moses murdered him and buried him, put him in the ground. Uh, The guy that I was talking about earlier, Paul the Apostle, he was also a murderer. In the book of Acts, it says that he was imprisoning Christians and doing what he could to stop them from witnessing about this Jesus being the Messiah. And it says that when they took Stephen, a Christian deacon, and stoned him to death, it says that it was Saul of Tarsus, whom we know as Paul, who held their cloaks. And if you're going to throw a rock at somebody, you can't, you can't do a good job if you've got a big heavy coat on. <laughs> you take that coat off where you can get a real good wind up and, and bust his head open. And that's what, exactly what Paul did. And he said himself, he said, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the Lord had mercy upon him. And uh, each of us here who who knows the Lord, each of us has a story. And, uh, of course, Bob can look back over his life and he can see the divine providence of God. He can see how the Lord brought him here, brought him there, stopped him from going here, brought people into his life, took people out of his life. All of these things the Lord was doing to him and for him even before he ever called on the name of the Lord. You always remember this, and I say this all the time here. We call on the Lord because he has called us. That's exactly right. If he doesn't get where you're going before you get there, you don't have a chance. He's there waiting on you when you get there. Just like the woman at the well in John chapter 4, when she came up to the well, the Lord Jesus was waiting on her. And he had already said to his disciples, look, you guys go on into town, do what you got to do. I got to go over this way. Uh, And he leaned by a well. He knew this woman was coming. And he was waiting on her when she got there. And there is a passage in the Bible, I remember teaching on it 30 30 years ago, where the Lord says, I'll wait on you while you try all your refuge of lies. I'll wait on you. You try this one. Bob told you how he tried this. He tried that. He tried the other. Looking, didn't know it, but he was looking for that peace, 
that can only come from the God who made you. You were made for Him, and nothing else you do will ever satisfy the thirst that you have. That's what Jesus meant when He said, the water that I shall give you will quench your thirst. Because we were made for Him, and we'll be miserable until we know Him. Thank you, Bob, for sharing that with us. That was, that was great. It was wonderful. And uh, maybe in the future we can get somebody else to share their testimony also with us. If you have any questions, I'm going to ask Bob and his, his wife, Julie, to go back there to the back. Maybe Brother Foster, some of y'all can show them where we can stand. Let them go back there to the back. And when you leave today, uh, maybe you can tell them how you enjoyed that, how that related you relate to that or how you thank him for opening up his heart, opening up his life and telling us a little bit about where he's been and how the Lord brought him to himself. If you ever have any questions about salvation, about Christ, about the Bible, we want you to please ask us. We don't, in this church, we do not sing 15 to 20 verses of just as I am trying to get a profession of faith out of somebody because we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit is quite able to open your heart open your mind and bring you to him and so we're going to commend you to the Lord that we're going to ask you uh, to talk to him and if you have any questions uh, then you let us know the scripture does say whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved but that calling upon him is not just to use him when we're in trouble. You know, a lot, all of us are, get religious. I can't tell you how many hundreds and hundreds of funerals I have done. I was at a memorial service Saturday. Uh, young man, I, was, I knew his parents when he was born. He died of a heart attack, 42 years old, 42. When you're 42, you're immortal. You think you're going to live to be 80 or 90. But he's gone at 42. And you can be 22 and you can be gone. I just want you to know that salvation is not in joining a church or walking an aisle or coming to the front or shaking the preacher's hand or signing a card or even being baptized. Salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you must come to know him, have a relationship with him, not just know about him, but come to know him. This is life eternal, that they know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Let's pray. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for saving Bob Castle. Thank you for bringing him to yourself. Thank you for having mercy upon him in spite of his rebellion. And we all see ourselves there in that same boat, Lord. If you had not called us, we would have not have called upon you. If you as the shepherd had not sought the lost sheep, that lost sheep would never have been found. If you had not come to us and opened our blinded eyes, unstopped our deaf ears, removed the veil from our hearts, we would yet be lost and under your condemnation. I pray, Father, that you'll have mercy upon everyone who is here today in this auditorium, everyone who is watching by the Internet, all who hear it in the future. And indeed, Lord, we lift up our nation to you. We read in your word that all nations that forget God shall be turned into hell. We ask you, Lord, to turn us back to thee. We ask you to send a heaven-sent power, a heaven-sent revival, one that we don't have to organize 
one by the Holy Spirit, bringing men and women and boys and girls to cry out to the Lord, what must I do to be saved? Now bless us as we part. We thank you for this time we've had together. And may your name be praised. We ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. You're dismissed.